Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached word of God in agreement to the scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. Talking about the great I am. Our subject today is specifically I am the light of the world. The book of John chapter 9 and we're going to we're just going to kind of camp out in the book of John this morning. And uh, so if you want to turn there in your Bible and you can kind of go along with us in several different passages. If not, you can certainly read along on the screen. But in John 9 and 5, the scripture says, As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And so for a little while, I want to kind of go back into the Old Testament. And I want us to talk about the subject of light. And uh, the first creative act of God is, is performed, of course, in the book of Genesis chapter 1. More specifically, if we look at verses 1 through 4, that creative act was to generate light and to distinguish light from darkness. Now, in the age that we're living in, sitting here today, we're, we're not really struggling trying to figure out the difference between light and darkness. But you see, there are some real spiritual principles between light and darkness and that is what God was trying to establish and I think still underline and cultivate today. God intentionally separated light and darkness because they were and they still are incompatible. You can't have one or the other or you must have one or the other. And so he gave each of these entities a name. In verse number 5, the Bible says that he called light day and he called darkness night. And so by, by, marking, by the marking of light, uh, this resulted in what God called the first day because there was a line of distinction. Uh, there was some clarity given between light and darkness. The Lord called this the first day. On the fourth day of creation, uh, essentially if we were to look at the end result, what God did was empower light lest darkness should prevail. We're going, to end, we're going to give light the power. Light will be the source. And so he placed the sun, the moon, and the stars in the heavens. And then he assigned dominion over all those things, all those heavenly beings. He, just, he assigned dominion to the sun and to the moon. In verse 16, he says, The greater light will rule the day, and the lesser light, the greater light is the sun, the lesser light, which is the moon. He said the lesser light will rule the night. And so by, by distributing these lights, he vested them with authority. And light was given authority. Amen. He sought to divide light from darkness in Genesis 1 and 18. Because he wanted his created order to be illuminated by light. Amen. And so it's the light. It's the sun. You're well aware of the fact of how instrumental and how important, if not even critical, that light is to, to uh, 
to plant life, to trees. You can see trees that are starving for light. They'll bend toward the light because that is the source of their strength. That is the source of their life. And uh, every time I see something of that nature, I'm reminded that I sure hope in my spirit when I walk through dark seasons, there's a bend in my spirit. Amen. When I'm walking in dark places, I hope there's something that is that is bent in my spirit toward the light. I, I trust that that, is, that that would be true. God wanted his created order to be illuminated by light. In the Old Testament, throughout the Old Testament, there is a continued theme of light and darkness. For example, in the, in, in the ninth of the ten plagues that God sent to Egypt when the children of Israel were, were, were being brought out, the Lord brought extreme darkness upon the land of Egypt. He brought total darkness. I talked about this a little bit Wednesday night, but he brought extreme darkness. I want to be very clear, and so I want to elaborate on this just a little bit more this morning. This radical darkness was a true affront to the people of Egypt because they worshipped the sun as a one of their many gods. And so darkness was an affront to the Egyptians and God was showing himself strong that I will bring darkness. And so I, I, in order for us to really understand the plague of darkness, it, we have to realize in our mind that, that these three days was not just an extension of night. You with me now? And so the Lord didn't just say, son, be still, and we're just going to hold you in place, and we're going to have three continuous consecutive days of night. We're not talking about day and night. We're talking about a plague of darkness. Amen. And so the curse was gross darkness. And so... One historian said that even if they had been able, if the Egyptians, even if they had been able to light a lamp in their home, that the darkness had been given prevailing power. Think of that phrase. That darkness had been given prevailing power over light because God has proven a point. I mean, if it's just night outside, we can light a candle. And we can, it doesn't make it day but it certainly fixes it where we can illuminate our path and go about our business. But God wasn't just saying, I'm going to make this inconvenient for you and I'm going to hide the sun. He said, I'm going to touch your life with gross darkness and if you were given the ability to light a lamp in your home, it won't even shine because darkness now, as a curse, has prevailing power because God was proven a point that I am God. And you're not to worship the sun. However, to, to further prove his, his deity in the homes of the Israelites, they had light in them. You can find that in Exodus 10 and 23. And so God is proving that this is not night, but I am cursing you with gross darkness and it's going to touch your life. But the light of the Israelites or the homes of the Israelites did have light. And so by separating light and darkness, uh, God wanted to underline his power. He wanted to underline his sovereignty. God wanted to underline his holiness. As a matter of fact, I believe that in addition to those things that God was really trying to draw attention to his people. 
you see that you're in darkness and my children are in light. Amen. And so he wanted to underline the ungodly practices of Egypt. He wanted to point out his chosen against those that were practicing idolatry. And so as the Lord led his children out of Egypt, um, he provided a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night that was to guide them, guide them during the day, to guide them during the night. And so when God was about to part the Red Sea, he again, almost as though it's another uh, duplication of what had happened prior, God, when he departed the Red Sea, he again distinguished the Israelites from the Egyptians through light and through darkness because a cloud separated the two camps and darkness and confusion. Again, not night, but darkness. Darkness and confusion settled upon the Egyptians while, according to Exodus 14, light and protection settled on the Israelites. I'm glad I'm a child of the light. Praise God. In Exodus 19, when we see Moses on top of Mount Sinai, the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of God was there on that mountain. And we know he was there because there were signs of lightning and fire that shone from atop that mountain. And so God was revealing himself through light. In Exodus 34, light radiated from the very face of Moses His countenance was changed. He had been in the presence of the Lord. In Exodus 37, a golden lampstand illuminated the interior place called the holy place. In Exodus 40, the Bible talks about God's overwhelming majesty that entered the temple. All of these instances of light, amen, signified God's presence and his glory. So we're talking about light and darkness, not necessarily day and night. Amen. Our day and uh, light and darkness. We're, we're talking about light and darkness, not necessarily day and night. And so the presence of, of the Lord was revealing himself in the Old Testament. But it's not, of course, just locked into the Old Testament. There are New Testament passages that refer to God and light as well. The presence and the ministry of Jesus Christ would bring illumination. There had been 400 years of silence or 400 years of darkness. John the Baptist announced, there's one coming. Amen. There's one coming mightier than I. What he was trying to say is there is is darkness now, but light is on its way. Light is on its way. And so whenever Jesus showed up, light and life accompanied him. And it always does. It always does. In Luke's gospel, Zacharias prophesied about the soon coming Savior in in Luke chapter 1 and verse 79. He said of this Savior, he was coming to give light to them that sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. Amen. I'm coming to give light to those that sit in darkness and to those that sit in the shadow of death. I'm glad to be serving a God of light. Luke also wrote that Simeon praised the infant Jesus in a song in Luke 20 in Luke 2 and 32. I'll just read this, noting that he would be, he said, a light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of the people of Israel. Jesus was coming to bear light. Hallelujah. The apostle John began his gospel by presenting Jesus as the word. Amen. Very, very powerful. Maybe some of you are familiar with this, but even though I want to continue to read that, the book of John chapter 1, and we'll read verses 1, 2, and 3. In the beginning was the Word, 
and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In verse number 10, John says, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Amen. Now think about Think about that, if you will, that this powerful God, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Everything that was made was made by Him, His hands, and here He is in their midst. Amen. The world, He was in the world, and the world was made by Him, and the world knew Him not. Now, we can shake our head in disbelief about that, but it hasn't changed very much in 2019. Because there's a lot of people that don't realize that God is in this world very much alive and very much accessible and very much available to one whosoever will. And so by the means of incarnation, a brand new creation was, <clears throat> was ushered in. Now God dwelt among his people in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse number 14, the Bible says, And the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Here it is. And we beheld his glory the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Praise God. Amen. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The key to this creation was the appearance of light. According to Exodus 40 and 34, a cloud covered the tent of the congregation and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. So much so, so much so, that Moses was not even able to enter into the tent of the congregation. <laughs> Amen. Think about that. The glory of the Lord so filled the house that Moses was not even able to enter in into the tent of congregation. And so what we have here is God's glory illuminating the original tabernacle after its completion. And so when you compare that then, when you compare that passage in Exodus to John 4, 1 and 14, the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt. Another word for dwelt there is tabernacled. Amen. So the word was made flesh and tabernacled among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father. <laughs> Amen. I believe today that we have the privilege in this hour, this day, in this very day to not just read about Moses peering into the tabernacle and beholding the glory of God, but we ourselves today can be filled with the power and the glory of that same spirit in our own heart and in our own lives. Praise God. I'm thankful for light. I am very thankful for light. Amen. God, help us today. Therefore, the opening of, of the verses of John's gospel, expounding, I believe, on the theme of light that is introduced in, in Genesis chapter 1. The scripture says in John 1 and 4, in him was life and the life was the light of men. In him was life and that life was the light. I'm thankful for the light. Amen. I'm talking about Jesus. I am the light of the world. 
I am the light of the world. And so as with the first creation, the age-old conflict between light and darkness has not diminished at all. In the first chapter of John, he speaks a lot about light. In John 1, 6 through 8, John the Baptist uh, who bore, he said, bore witness of the light that all men through him might believe. So here comes this light again. Amen. That light is in John the Baptist. In John 1 and 9, it, it declares that Jesus offered this true light to all people everywhere. And so it would seem apparent to even a casual reader of the book of John that he wanted to, them, whoever is reading his book, amen, as we read through this gospel, that they're going to be able to discover a theme or they're going to be able to discover a key, amen. And that theme or that key is the difference between light and darkness, amen. The light of Jesus brings and it, and it exposes his identity and it exposes his purpose. And can I tell you today that the light of the Holy Ghost still does the very same thing. Amen. The light of revelation can shine and it exposes the identity of who Jesus is. Amen. I'm, I think I'm preaching to people today who have had a revelation of who Jesus is. You know where that revelation came from? It came from the light of his word, the truth. Praise God. It revealed and it, and it reveals his purpose in life. And so in the gospel of John, John uh, Jesus makes seven claims about himself. Now, he, 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 uh, he spoke through, uh, metaphorically, he spoke about seven different things. He said, I am the bread, I am the light of the world, I am the door of the sheep, I am the good shepherd, I am the resurrection and the life, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and I am the true vine. So all of these metaphors that Jesus is using is he's trying to put a handle on the cup. He's trying to put a handle on the jug, so to speak, so that we can get our hand around it and understand, amen, that he is the bread, that he is light, that he is the door of the sheep, that he is the good shepherd, the resurrection and the life, the way, the truth, and the life. He is the true vine. He knew his audience, and he knew they would be able to understand the terminology that he is using. The second of these statements captured the chief aspect of who he was and his mission when he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. Can I tell you today that God is holy? Can I tell you that, that God is holy, holy, fully holy? He is radically holy. God is holy. His very nature is light. Everything about him is light. There is no darkness to be found in him. He is ethically pure. He is morally pure. Everything about God is holy. It is righteous. When we are in the presence of an almighty God, amen, we recognize his holiness. We recognize his deity. We recognize his purity. Amen. Amen. When we are, when you are around somebody that is, when you are around something or someone that is completely clean, it is then and only then that you're made aware of your uncleanness. I mean, I'm, if I'm down in my barn working all around, I've got sawdust or grease or whatever all over me, I don't think anything about it. If I've been down there for several hours, I just it just kind of escapes me that, that, that my hands may be dirty or there may be dust on my face or my clothes may be dirty. But when I walk from my barn to the house, when I walk in the house, I don't have to be confronted with my wife. She doesn't have to be standing there saying, no, 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 no. 
She don't have to run me out, doesn't have to chase me away. But when I walk in the back door, the smell of the home, it doesn't smell anything like my barn. The atmosphere of the home. Amen. My wife doesn't even have to be home for me to understand that I am in the presence of cleanness. Now I'm, now, I'm, I'm, now I'm doing whatever I can. If I have to navigate through the house for something, I mean, I'm stepping sideways. I don't want to touch anything. Why? Because I have been made eminently aware that I am not clean. Now, there wasn't the spirit of condemnation in our house. It wasn't the spirit of better than thou or holier than thou in our house, but it was the presence of cleanness, the presence of wholesomeness. I'm going somewhere with this, amen. So when people come into the house of the Lord, amen, they should feel the presence of the Lord, but in the presence of the Lord, amen, whatever is unholy about them should bother them. It should bother us to the point that we say, I gotta do something about that because I'm in the presence of a clean God. Now listen, when I talk about the presence of the Lord, I'm not just talking about 10 o'clock on Sunday morning while we're in this house. I'm talking about wherever we go, whatever we do, whatever we're involved in. Amen, when I step into the presence of the Lord, if there is something unholy and unclean about me, it ought to reveal itself. There ought to be something that says, I gotta do something about this. Amen. It's good to have people in your life that can help us. Amen. It really is good to have people in our life that can help us. I, uh, I, I'm, I'm thankful for people that every now and then when you walk in the room, they say, hey, you, you got a little something right there. Now, some people may be offended by that, but I call them a real friend. Somebody lets you go through a whole day with a piece of spinach stuck in your teeth? What? We've been together four hours. You haven't seen me smile? You, well, I didn't want to say anything. What are you talking about? You didn't want to say anything. I'd rather be uncomfortable for 30 seconds than to look like a goofball all day. Amen? I'm out of King James Version here just a little, just a little bit. So we need somebody in our life, not just the Spirit of the Lord. We need people with skin on at times to say, hey, Hey, you need to check your attitude. You need to check your spirit. You can't feel like that. You shouldn't do You need to pray. Amen. We need the spirit of the Lord to help us, and, and we need that light to shine and just reveal. It's, it's like those magnified mirrors with the lights all around it. You think you're looking good till you bend down to one of those when you're magnified by, you know, 12 times. Like, wow, wow. Who is that? More importantly, when did that happen? Light. What a privilege light is. Amen. God, who is invisible to human eyes, physical eyes, yet he made himself so plain that man could see him in John 1 and 18. John recorded these words of Jesus when he said, He that hath seen me... <laughs> hath seen the Father, John 14 and 9. When you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I'm going to shine some light. I want you to know who I am. He's not running around in the shadows. He's not wearing a mask. He's not trying to hide from light. He's stepping into light. He is light. The light of Jesus brings not only in, is not only intended to merely shine like a lamp. The light of Jesus is not just to be enjoyed as though it's and, and, and admired just for its beauty. 
I believe the light of Jesus, the light that we're talking about today, is an aggressive light. It is a powerful light. I'm going to tell you something, that, that when you come into this building at night or into any building at night and it is dark and you turn the switch on, you don't hear any conversation between light and darkness. You don't ever hear light say, excuse me, darkness, uh, I need to come in just a moment. I won't be here long, and we'll let you return to your natural state because light has preeminence. It has authority over darkness. And so when you touch the switch, darkness has to go in a moment of time. Amen. And so the light that Jesus brings was not just merely intended to shine like a light, be admired for its beauty. The light of Jesus is active. The light of Jesus is aggressive. Can I tell you that the light of Jesus invades enemy territory? John 1 and 5 says, and the light shineth into darkness and darkness comprehended it not. The light of Jesus reaches deep into the soul and it reaches deep into the into the wheel of humanity and in doing so light exposes the, the, the truth of our inner life and light exposes the truth of our outer life amen and, and Jesus knows all things about us yes he does amen he knows all things about us he doesn't only know our sin but the Lord knows, this, knows the, the sincerity of our faith because he judges the uh, he judges the motive of our actions. Not just our actions, but the motive of our actions. And so if you pop up here this evening or this morning in the service, you say, I just want to interrupt this service because I want to give $10,000 to missions. And it was a true God moment. That would be one thing. But if you just jumped up and announce that because you didn't want to take a chance that nobody would see you drop that in the bag. God judges the motive of our heart. Why do you do what you do? Amen. If we just jump to the forefront only to be seen and heard, that was as much of a blessing as we got right there. Whatever somebody got out of that, ever how moved they were, ever how impacted they were for those few seconds, that was how much blessing we got. Amen. God looks at our heart and he understands why we do what we do. If I'm just standing here today so you can look at me and hear me, then it won't matter what I say. It's all going to be lost in, in ill motives on my part. But if I can come to this pulpit and say, Lord, I need you to anoint my mind and my heart. Hallelujah. Your word is eternal. I'm going to tell you something. There's a crushing weight about standing behind this pulpit. Hear me this morning. There's a crushing weight about standing behind this pulpit. Why? Because there's souls involved. There's eternities involved. And so I've got to understand every time, every time, whether it's one hour or five minutes that I've been given to speak, there is an eternal factor, an eternity factor rather, that is involved in all of this. And so I've got to be careful. I've got to weigh my motives. And he knows all things. He doesn't just know about sin, but he knows the sincerity of my walk with him. In John 2 and 24, he knew all men and needed not that any should testify of man for he knew what was in a man. He knew what was in a man. Praise God. And so when the glorious light of Jesus shines in our lives and in our heart, there is really and truly, there are only two responses. And we could probably put a lot of bullet points in here, but let's just boil it all down. 
There's really only two possible responses when the Spirit of God begins to move on a person. Either we will reject the light and embrace darkness, or we'll embrace the, the darkness or we'll embrace the light and reject darkness. There's only one of two things that can happen. And can I tell you today that when we come to the house of God and we sit in his presence and we hear his word, we are either being drawn a little bit closer to the Lord or we're being pushed a little bit further from the Lord. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings today or to be crude or crass or to be unethical but I'm going, or, 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 or unkind, but I'll tell you today that the word of God is a light. There's a battle going on in this house right now and it's a battle between light and darkness. Amen. It is a battle between good and evil and we will either embrace the light and let go of darkness or we'll say, you know what, I'm gonna hold on to my darkness and in doing so we reject the light. God, I pray today that we'll receive the light. Amen. Let us receive the light. Praise God. What's the old song that says, send the light. Send the light, Lord. Amen. Send that light. John 1 and 11 said of Jesus, he came to his own and his own received him not. Light came to his own and those rejected him. Amen. His own rejected him. However, there are also many spiritual examples to confirm that others will receive and others will experience a new birth. You can find that all throughout the scripture, but certainly John addresses that in his writing. John chapter 12 represents the turning point, a turning point in John's gospel. It sums up, if you will, uh, the public ministry of Jesus Christ. Simply, many who heard his message opposed the light. For instance, it would not be long before Judas, hand-chosen, Judas, hand-picked, Judas would betray him. So in John 12, Jesus announced ominously that the precious light would not remain much longer. Amen. He admonished his hearers to walk in the light and he admonished them to avoid having darkness come upon them. And that darkness he talked about would obscure their path. They were to believe in the light and they they were to become children of the light according to John 12 and 36. Unfortunately, few had trusted Isaiah's prophetic report. Therefore, they chose blindness over sight Amen. They chose blindness over sight. They chose sickness over healing. They they tro- they chose being they chose being bound over being delivered, like the blind man, like the blind man in John nine. The Lord wants us to respond, allowing him, affording him the opportunity to to uh, to to shine light in our heart, and to bring healing and to bring deliverance. I think the Lord is asking for nothing less. And please hear me, I don't plan to stutter. Amen. The Lord is asking for nothing less than total 100% commitment. 100% commitment. But we're living in a day today where people don't want to commit to anything. 
They want to commit to their companion, don't want to commit to their children, don't want to commit to their job, don't want to commit to their household, don't want to commit to their church. Come on, amen. They don't want to commit to God. I just, just let me hold hands and let's just be, and I'm not trying to be crude this morning, but, but people just want to be friends with benefits and that bleeds over into our spirit world. We just want to be saints with benefits. We just want to come to church and feel his presence. We don't want to come to church and I want to feel those goosebumps when, the, when they hit that certain note. I want to, I want to feel something when that song gets there or when the preacher really gets red in the face. Amen. I don't want to just be a spiritual friend with spiritual benefits. Amen. I want to be a child of God. Good days, bad days, good times, lean times, times of plenty, times of few. Praise God. Times when the grass is green and times when the grass is brown. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My, my, my. Throughout the book of Acts, we see that people reacted to the light of the gospel by turning their lives over to him. Amen. Over and over and over, you see this in the book of Acts. In Acts 2.38, this plan of salvation marks the glorious beginning of a new life of, of discipleship. And so as, as the disciples pondered the underlying reason for the man's blindness, and it was the disciples that were questioning the Lord about the man's blindness in John 9. They wondered... Uh, they asked this question, Did was it the parents that sinned? Listen to this next, the second part of the question. Or this man that did sin that he was born blind, how would he sin in his mother's womb? Amen. Who did, who did sin that this man was born blind? His parents or this man? But you see, God had a greater purpose. He said no man sinned. This man's blindness is ultimately going to bring glory to the power of God. Viewed from a natural perspective, this man's blindness severely limited many things about his life. He could not, he could not hope for normalcy. Amen. But he would live in that day like all blind people lived in that day. His day-to-day existence was going to be relegated to just begging alms on the streets. That was going to be the high point of his day. As like the sudden catastrophes that overtook Job, we cannot always understand why bad things happen to good people. I've been asked that question countless times over the years, but I can tell you that through calamities and, and, and through misfortunes, I've, got to, I've learned this, that I've got to meet, remain faithful to him. I've got to be faithful to him who has called me. Job said, I can't find him here. I can't find him there, but I'm going to keep walking with him. I'm going to keep trusting him. Amen. Imagine if the blind man had not obeyed the word of the Lord. Imagine if he had not obeyed the Lord. What if he had refused to say that to obey when the Lord said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. What if he had refused? I will tell you that he would still, he would have died blind. He would have left this world blind. Amen. But because he responded to the word of the Lord. Amen. Because he said I'm going to do it no matter what he responded to the light he responded to the light and that light gave life that light gave hope amen and so the question that remains for you and I is will we respond to the light it seems very fundamental doesn't it what are we going to do the gospel's laid before us The plan of salvation is here. Repent 
Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remissions of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We know, amen, from every instance in the New Testament in the book of Acts that that New Testament experience is going to be followed with the infilling of the Holy Ghost and that will be, that will be revealed by, the, by speaking with other tongues. Amen. As the Spirit of the Lord gives utterance, not as we teach someone to do that has nothing to do with that, nothing could be further from the truth. And so when the plan of salvation is here and we say, do you want to go to heaven? Amen. If the answer to that is yes, if you want to know how to get to heaven, here is, the, here is how, this is how you get started. And now we have to pause. And I have to ask you, what are you going to do about that now? Because we, we're going to stand here in a moment and we're going to have to either walk this way or walk that way. In the most literal terms, we're going to have to walk toward the Lord or we're going to have to say one more time, I believe I got this, God. I believe I have this. Amen. Decades passed except for one aged man who had somehow miraculously by God's favor, I shouldn't say God's favor, God's purpose, I will say he had escaped death. Every other apostle had not only died, but they had all suffered brutal executions long ago. Yet now this elder faced a crisis that was threatening this community of believers right to their very core. A group of malicious people had recently left the church claiming a superior knowledge and, and they were preaching this other Jesus. These false teachers were trying to entice the true believers who remained. They were being enticed to follow them. They sent out representatives to the congregations attempting to draw them into their ranks. Deeply, deeply troubled, the man remembered this old aged man locked away on an island called Patmos, remembered. His mind went back. And he remembered that thing that we call the Last Supper. He remembered where he was seated. He remembered leaning his head to the very bosom of, of his Lord. He recalled asking Jesus who the betrayer would be when Jesus kept just pointing Essentially pointing his finger. If you read this, there was no doubt in anybody's mind who the betrayer was. He that sops with me. Judas took the bread. It was a sure sign. This is the betrayer. You see, somewhere along the line, Judas fell out of love with light. And he fell in love with darkness. The departure of false teachers reminded the apostle John of how, of how Judas betrayed so many years before. And so like Judas, John could only think these people had exchanged the life and the fellowship of Jesus for darkness and evil because the Bible says of Judas that he went out and hanged himself. He didn't even want the 30 pieces of silver when they were given. I want nothing to do with it. Because in a moment, the moment that light left his life, he understood, oh, I made a bad, I made a bad decision right here. And in that moment, he realized it was too late. 
or he felt it was too late, and he went out and hanged himself. And so, while disturbed that, that these false teachers had denied Jesus was the Son of God, John felt equivalently unsettled, equally unsettled because they rejected ethics and the moral behavior that the Lord had so graciously laid before them. They had the audacity, audacity to claim that, that sin no longer mattered. It just, it just really doesn't matter. Have they somehow thought that they had reached some pinnacle where they were above sin? And we ask ourselves, or we should ask ourselves that question today. As John pondered this situation, he, he picked up a pen and began to write. He wrote to these faithful people. And he reminded them that I have known him personally. I walked with him. He reminded him that he witnessed his ministry and heard his teachings firsthand. And he assured them that God's character was pure and righteous. And he wrote about those things that those who walk with God must do. He said, you've got to let the light of, the, of God shine in your life. That's what you've got to do. Can I tell you that people that are filled with darkness, they need to be exposed to the light that you have. Amen. We need to confess our sins to him and we need to be forgiven and cleansed by his blood. John knew that the church simply could not afford to, to repeat the mistakes that Judas had made. So after finishing, John trusted someone to deliver this letter to the church and it was read to the saints. Amen. And they thanked him. Can I tell you today, I'm not saying this because I'm the preacher this morning, but can I tell you today, there's nothing more privileged than this word of God. Amen. I've read from this eternal truths today to tell you it's all going to be all right. Amen. I've read from these eternal truths today to tell you that, that light, we can have light and we don't have to settle for darkness. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. I'm thankful that I know him. I'm thankful that I know that light. Aren't you? Let's stand together, shall we? Amen. Would you lift your hands with me and let's just pray and ask God to touch this word to our heart in Jesus' name. Lord, I love you today and I thank you for the power of the Holy Ghost. I thank you today, God, for the, for the reality of your spirit. I thank you, God, for the anointing of the Holy Ghost and I pray today that your presence would touch us. I pray today, God, that our minds could be pricked, that our hearts could be pricked. I'm asking you today, God, to help us to fall in love with light and realize that we are children of light and we are not children of darkness. And as children of the light, God, you have privileged us to be able to walk in the light. Amen. That we can see that we will have the illumination of your power and your word with us. Take us by the hand today and lead us and guide us and strengthen us now in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I'm thankful to know, I'm thankful to know the light, aren't you? Amen, amen. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806 or you can visit the contact link here on our website. 
Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.